This morning we're, we're going to be in a new chapter in our series in the Gospel of Luke. And, and Luke, as he records the life of Jesus and the truth about Jesus, he really hits about just about every theme you could imagine as uh, topic after topic is, is hit by, by the record of the life of Jesus and his preaching and teaching. And if you were with us last week and if you weren't able to, I'll just give you a quick summary. We talked about Jesus looking at the present and in the future as well. And, and really what he was talking about, he was saying, uh, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. And as he's talking about the kingdom of God, in many ways, uh, there were more question marks than exclamation marks that are coming out of their mind. They, they were more confused or uh, had more questions than answers as they go, what is the kingdom of God? And sometimes we make things that have complexity in it uh, so um, filled with detail that we, we miss the main point. The kingdom of God is all about God's rule. You can't have a kingdom without a without a ruler, and to use the language of kingdom, you can't have a king without a king. Thank you. Thank you very much out there. Okay, you got to have a king to have a kingdom. And if you have a king, that's the person who's supposed to rule, reign, to, to give you marching orders how to live. And as they were thinking about that, I said, well, okay, uh, well, I have this picture in my mind what that will look like. You know, King Arthur and his court, you know, I have all his knights of the round table, and I, I see Camelot, and I see the righteous rule and everything going perfectly, and that's not what we're living now. And, and Jesus surprised them and said, uh, oh, oh, by the way, the kingdom of God is in your midst, or the kingdom of God is at, your, at hand, or as some translations put it, the kingdom of God is within you. Of course, for some of that wasn't true because the kingdom of God wasn't within them because the only way to experience the kingdom of God is, Jesus put it pretty plainly, you must be born again. So there, there must be a spiritual birth. So Jesus came the first time to, to change the rule, not on the outside, but the rule on the inside. So there needed to be an inside change. There needed to be a rule of, of our hearts by the living God, the living King. But he, wasn't, he was going to be faithful to the promises that were given in the Old Testament. There is a kingdom that's going to happen here on earth. And so there's the kingdom now, but also the kingdom not yet. And, and so resisting the temptation to re-preach last week's message, uh, we, we're now where we, were, uh, where we left off last week. Because before Luke chapter 18 is Luke chapter 17, and he starts a new chapter in a sense, and he, he speaks about the now. And I've entitled the message this morning, Living in the Now. And in, you know, in the simplest of ways, you really only can live in the now. Now, you can, be, you can be dominated by your thoughts of the past, and you kind of keep living in the past even though you're in the now. That's not going to really work for you. You can learn from the past, and we should learn from the past, and that's why God's given us an Old Testament as well. There's things He wants us to realize that how He worked in the past so we can predict and experience what he's, how He's going to work now and in the future. But some people live in the past. Some people live in the future. They're always just dreaming about what's, what's next, and they're not living right now. And God wants us to live like right now. And so this morning, uh, what we have is Jesus speaking about the now. In fact, in my translation, the New American Standard, the first word in Luke chapter 18 is the word now. Well, now. Now what? And so Jesus speaks about, and taking the theme of the special music this morning, he speaks about living just a closer walk with thee. And we're going to talk about some things this morning that you've heard all your life, whether you're young or old, uh, and whether you are regular in a, in a church experience. You've heard some of these things talked about, but, but sometimes, even though we've heard it talked about, we don't always live it out. And so this morning, Jesus is going to, he's going to bring it down to all of our levels. He's going to tell us a couple stories, and he's going to tell us an experience he had with some little people. And, 
And from that, he wants us to, to draw out very simply the principles about living for him now, living in the now. We can look forward to the kingdom that is to come, but he wants us to live in the kingdom now, which is him ruling, reigning, leading our life now. And if we don't get that, then we don't get what the kingdom of God is all about. So let's look at this morning, uh, living in the now, and the question I want to answer is how? How do we do that? Well, let's, let's pick up the, the account in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Now, he, he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray. Now, what's a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We're going to see that in the story he tells just in a moment. But he, but he talks about something that we've probably heard before. Have you ever heard that it's a good idea to pray? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that, okay? You're a lot more response in the first service. Half, half the people in the first service thought I was going to ask them to volunteer for the nursery. Okay, so anyway, so, you know, we've all heard about that, right? Well, you know, it's a good thing to pray. You know, okay, well, Jesus, can't you talk about anything new or different or esoteric or something we've never heard before? He said, I, I, you, you need to learn to pray. But then he adds to this, he says, and, and not to lose heart. Now, what is he saying with that, with a kind of a colorful phrase, is that sometimes we start off pretty good on, in our prayer life, but we don't end up there, right? We, you know, we, we pray for a while about something or something that's really concerned or burdensome, something that we know God wants us to pray regularly about, and we do that for a while, and then all of a sudden we stop praying. And what he's saying to them is about what they had all experienced. You know you're supposed to talk to God, but you're not doing it. And why are you not doing it? Because you've lost heart. And implied in that is the reason we lose heart about praying, because we've heard that prayer works, but sometimes when we pray, it doesn't seem to... Some of you are a little bit shy out there. It doesn't seem to work, right? We know prayer works, but we pray and it doesn't seem to work, so why keep praying? Because... You know, if it's not working for me, why well, keep doing the same thing, expecting different results? And he says, well, I, I want to I tell you right off, right now, I want to tell you that, that you ought to pray and not to lose heart. And, and, and to somehow grab you with this, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a parable. And, and so saying, verse 2, he says, in, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. Now, sometimes if you've ever been in a legal situation or heard about other people, they, they, uh, if they find a particular lawyer with influence, they, they, they try to influence not only where the, the trial is going to be done, but if somehow they can get the right judge, they feel like they might have a little bit more possibility of winning the case rather than losing the case. And so whether you have influence or not, uh, when you find out who's going to um, be in charge of your particular issue, you either feel with hope or despair, depending upon who the judge is. Now, now, just think about for a moment. How would you like to have a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man? You very hopeful here? Basically, what does that describe? It describes, I don't care what God thinks, and I don't care what you think. I'm going to do whatever I want. Some writers, when I read this, they said, this is a person in whom there is no shame. Now, sometimes if you can influence people in various ways, you you're trying to put them where they'll feel shame if they go down the wrong path. Anybody, anybody done that for, you know, with people? You know? If you can shame and they oh, I don't want to do that because I'm feeling more shame by doing this. If I can avoid shame, I'll feel better so I won't do it. Well, you're not going to use that tactic with this man because he didn't care about what God thought. So he, wasn't going to, he didn't fear being shamed by God. He didn't fear about being shamed by people because he didn't care what they thought. 
So, so we hear the story again. This is an earthly story with a heavenly meeting, and here goes the account. Uh, there was a widow in that city, and she, ke- she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal, legal protection from my opponent. So we know this is not a religious court. It's a civil court, and she has a need, and she goes before him and, and just, just wants protection. She's not looking for vengeance. She's not looking for compensation. She says, I, I just want to somehow keep what is rightfully mine. Now, that's a pretty honest request, right? That's not asking too much. That's just saying, let's just obey the law. Just, just make sure this is carried out. But, but the response, however, is that the judge could care less. He said, this is not important to me. It's not that big an issue. So I'm not going to even... Almost sounds like I'm not going to hear the case, or if I heard the case, I've said no. I'm not. I'm not going to be bothered by it. Verse four. For for a while he was unwilling, wouldn't get protection. But afterward he said to, him, to himself, uh, uh, "This is interesting. The description of this man, as well as another man, we're going to see in a moment. Uh, this is a person who talks to himself. He said to himself. Anybody out there talk to themselves?" Some of you talk out loud, I've heard you. No, anyway. So, you know, sometimes people will talk and they'll talk to themselves. And, and you can almost understand why, why he talked to himself. Because if he didn't fear God and he didn't respect man, who, who would want to talk to him, right? <laughs> I mean, that's not the kind of person I want to have a conversation with. So, anyway, as he goes through this, he's saying he talks to himself with this experience with this widow that just uh, wants what she wants. He says, uh, back to the account, he said, um, for a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, verse 4, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, so he repeats this, his, his label, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And, and so as we look at this particular case, who, who, whether he'd given the verdict before or just wouldn't hear it, she keeps pestering him, pestering the point. Says, "Look, I, I've had enough of this. Even though I wasn't going to give her a positive verdict, I'm going to give her a positive verdict because she is wearing me out." Literally, the the idea here uh, in the original language is she's given me a black eye. She is just totally irritating to me. And I was beginning to think, well, well, how did she do that? I mean, when we think of the court, at least when I think of the court today, you only see the judge, you know, at at trial. You don't run into that judge very often. And so if you're going to plead your case, you just, I guess, have to keep going to the courtroom or the trial, you know, just knowing that you're out there, you're out there. But uh, some writer said this about this, that what, what she did, she went a lot more aggressive than that. Because, you know, it's a smaller community. And so she found out where this judge lived. And so she would, she would visit him at home and pester him there. And, and, and then she would find out where he liked to eat. And so she would go to where, she ate, where he ate. And then where did, he, where did he shop? And so she would go where he shopped and, he, and then found out what, what did he like to do for fun. And she would, wherever he went, she went. Because she had no other alternative. And we don't know how big her family was. It's possibly her husband passed away early and she had children in the home. She not only needed to provide for herself, but for others as well. We don't know what the plight of them, of her desperately needing legal protection. But she didn't have too many choices. Because being a widow, she really had no power. So she could not influence others to the point where they would put pressure on him. And she couldn't bribe him and the obvious reason why she couldn't bribe him is because she had no resources to bribe him. 
You ever been in situations where you, you've had to bribe someone to get something done? I, I've, I've traveled in certain countries, and that's sometimes the only way you can get things done. You, ha- you have to grease the hand of the person who has that power at the moment. But, but she didn't have the, the ability to do that. And, and so all she could do was to, to keep at him. Now, now uh, we, have a, we have an N-word for that, right? Okay, now the N-word is one you can say in church. It's when you, when you just keep pestering someone, what are you doing? You are nagging them, right? <laughs> you just won't let go. You just say it over and over and over and over, just hoping you'll wear that person out until they just, even if they don't want to do it, they'll do it just to get you off their back, right? Any naggers in here? Anybody want to raise their hand on naggers? Okay. Yeah, I, I've used that polite sometimes, okay? Is that you just keep after the person. And so Jesus is telling this story, and, and then it goes on and says this, verse 6, and, and the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? Because we got the earthly story. Here was a person in need, had no ability to get that need met. The only way that need was met was to pester, nag, go after the person who had the power to somehow grant what she deserved. And so what we have in this story is a story that we need to recognize. It's not a story in which there is a similarity between God and this judge, but it's a parable of contrast. He says, I want you to understand that this is not the God that you call when you pray. The God that you call that you pray... He has brought you into his family. He's elected you to be part of his forever family. And he is not a person that's unrighteous, but he's just. And he desires not to deny your request, but to allow you to receive what he wants to grant you out of his goodness. And when he grants it, there will be no delay. It will come swiftly right at the appropriate time. And then in verse 8, he says, I, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly for all those who are in his elect and his family. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And, and this brings us back to the context of this passage because the now, we don't know what the period of time was when he was talking to the Pharisees and the disciples about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that has, has a present experience, the now but God's rule, though it can happen in, inside a person's life, it's not everywhere here on this planet. Have you, have you noticed there's some things that go wrong on this planet? There's a not yet component to it. But he says, as you're living in the now present of the kingdom, I want you to understand you, you do have an advocate for you, a God that is not like an unrighteous judge who, who reluctantly gives you what you need, but will grant your prayer requests according to his timetable and and he is a good God. But, but I do want to remind you that all of your requests will not be perfectly answered or completely answered until the Son of Man comes again. And, and the question I have for you is, is, do you have that faith that still is living out your faith in the now? Because let's be honest, there are all kinds of prayers that we've asked God and, and God... Uh, has said no to many of them. And, and sometimes God answers no because 
we ask for the right motive, but there's the wrong request. And aren't you glad that some of your, your prayers weren't answered exactly like you, you prayed them? But sometimes God doesn't answer your, your prayers in the, in the now because it's, it's for the, the time that is to come. And so he says, I want you to trust me that there is a time when those prayer requests will be answered completely and they'll be answered swiftly. That's when he comes again. But in the meantime, what I want you to do is I want you to trust me and don't lose heart as you talk to me about those concerns upon your heart or the concerns you have on other people's lives that have now concerned you. So what's the, what's the practical application of this parable, this earthly story of the heavenly meaning? Well, let me throw out a, a few things. How do we live in the now? I mean, not where we're kind of hitched to the past or we're only dreaming about the future, but living with him now. Well, I would submit these things. Number one, talk to God about everything. Talk to God about everything. That idea is found in Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing but in What's the next word? Everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Because God is not like the unrighteous judge who, who could care less about what God thinks or, quite frankly, would care less about what you think. God does care about what you think. He cares about what you're going through. And if you're, if you're trying to get a, 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 a list that gives you practical application for your prayer list, be anxious for nothing. Whatever's on your worry list, you, you've, got, you've got a free pass to pray about those things. And if it's not on your, prayer, your worry list, it might be on somebody else's worry list. It's all right for you to pray about those things. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. I invite you to, to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and 19 this week. At, in our PT with God, we always have a model prayer or a prayer of instruction in and Paul, in that, that prayer, interesting enough, he, sa- he says this, I, I want you to always pray in the Spirit. I want you to pray with perseverance. And then he says, I want you to pray for all the saints. One thing that God wants us to do is, is to pray for people that we know. And if, you, if you're not sure who to pray for this week, just pray for the person sitting next to you or behind you or, or around you and, and pray for them this week. Or if you're not really sure of their name, go, go in the the church directory, and start going through the A's and then go through the B's and go through the C's. Start praying for people in the, in the church directory. And, and you might say, well, I don't know what to pray for them about. There's a lot of things you could pray for them. Pray for the same thing that you go through. Is there anything that you're anxious about? They, they might be anxious about. Don't, just pray, Lord, help them get peace in the midst of the things that concern them this week. You, you ever need guidance? Well, uh, maybe they need guidance. Lord, help them to know your path this week and, and follow what, what you want them to do. Maybe uh, they're feeling weak and inadequate. Lord, pray, I pray for their strength that they might experience the power of God within their life. Or as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, he says, and this is what's interesting to me, every time Paul does this, is in verse 19, he says, oh, by the way, after you pray for all the saints, which means we've got a pretty long prayer list, right? Oh, and by the way, if you go through the church directly, don't go through every letter in the alphabet with, on, on one day. Just kind of pick a few alph- alphabetical people you know, group. But in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, oh, pray for me that I might have boldness in the utterance of my faith, which is a fancy way to say, you know, there are times I, I, I don't share my faith like I should. I don't talk about Jesus to people who need to hear about Jesus because maybe I'm afraid what they might think or feel or the reaction to me. 
And I never anticipate Paul being fearful about sharing his faith, but he says, I need people praying for me. So what do we learn from this story where he says, hey, live in the now, the, the, the now presence of the king where God is ruling? Is, as God rules, you need to talk to him about everything. There's nothing too little for God. There's nothing too big for God. And so pray about everything. And in this particular case, what was most important to this widow is that, is that she had a need. There, there were those who were trying to take what she had illegally. And she needed God to move in the present world she was living in, that she would have protection. And she was fervent about that so much so that God, that unrighteous judge, granted her request. And he said, how much more is the God who loves us and cares for us going to answer our prayers in our time of need? Not always according to our timetable, but according to his. And then we can look forward to that time where every request will have its completion. Talk to God about everything. But related to that, I guess you could say, he says, don't lose heart. It's don't ever give up. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, we have these words from Paul to the church in Galatia, or the churches in Galatia. Let, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Again, if you're in a small group and going around, let's be honest. It, 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 is it good to be honest in church or honest with God's people? Shake your head like you're still listening to me, all right? We have to admit, there are times we get tired of praying, right? We get tired of praying the same thing over and over and over again. We don't see the results. And he said, don't lose heart. Don't give up. You know, the finish line is there. Make sure you cross the line. And now we're not talking about losing salvation. We're talking about don't lose the joy of salvation by by stopping doing what you know we all ought to do, right? Have you, have you heard we're supposed to pray? Yeah, we're supposed to pray. And we are, ought to pray without losing heart. Keep on praying. Just looking at some of you shared prayer requests about people you've prayed for years. And then God answered the prayer. And it's not because God is reluctant. I mean, the mystery about prayer is if, if God knows every request before we ask it, then why do we have to keep telling him, Right? We're not telling him anything he doesn't know. And, and there are times where God only wants us to pray for things once. For Paul, the Apostle Paul, he let him pray three times for the thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And then after that, he said, look, stop, because I'm not going to change my answer. But we don't know what, what things he's going to do and how long we ought to pray for things. But if God puts it on your heart and it's a concern in your life and it's a, it's a, it's a need, then keep praying. And what it does is it, it leads us into dependence. Plus, every time we pray that prayer, we can say, but Lord, your will be done, not my will. And then you can also pray, Lord, this care that I'm giving to you, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you one more time because I need your help one more time. And the more we talk to God about something, the more we can trust him and rely upon him and, and get his strength in whatever we're going through, no matter what he decides to do in the now. But we know in the now we can trust him and experience his peace. So what do we learn about how, how to live a life closer to God or live a life that lives it in the now is talk to God about everything. Don't ever give up. And then I would just add this and trust in God's goodness. Because again, this is a parable of contrast. God is not saying I'm like the unrighteous judge who could care less about what you're thinking and feeling. God does care because you're part of his family. He has chosen you to be part of his team. 
So trust in his goodness. Psalm 119, 68, you are good and do good. Teach him your statutes. Or Matthew 7, 11, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts. This always strikes me. Sometimes this is the simplest statements that Jesus made. If then you being evil. Now, if I was just a little bit erratic today, I would just say, turn to the person next to you and say, you know, you're kind of evil, <laughs> but you don't have to do that. But I mean, he was making a blanket statement. If you then <laughs> being evil, and he said, who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? And the Apostle Paul said yeah, in Romans chapter 7, in my flesh dwells no good thing. For all of us have fallen short. All of us sin and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us seek good. Even our, in Isaiah, even our, our good deeds are like filthy rags to God by way of comparison. So none of us are good. So he's making a comparison here of contrast again. Compared to how good God is, how good are you are? How good are you? And the answer to that is, well, you're evil compared to God's goodness. No matter how good we are, we, we don't even compare. So he says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and I would say, as parents, I mean, obviously there's, there's some wild, weird people out there, but most parents, they want to give good gifts, right? They don't want to give bad gifts to their children. Well, compared to how good God is, look, look at how he wants to respond to you in prayer. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So if we want to live in the now, we, we need to talk to God about everything. We should never give up and always remember the goodness of God. Always remember the goodness of God. His loving kindness never fail. They are good every morning. But there's another couple of points I want to make this morning out of the passage we're looking at. And, and, and Jesus decides to tell another story, verse 9 uh, through 14. And he, Jesus, also told us this parable, again, an earthly story of the heavenly meeting, to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So, so now we're, we're looking at some people that kind of compare themselves with others, and so he picks two people out of the crowd, or, or at least puts them in the store. He says, two men went up from the temple, up into the temple to pray. So he's talking about prayer. So here are two people praying, and we're going to see one prayer is a little bit better than the other. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. Now, just taking a step, sometimes we give the Pharisees way too much you know, grief, though they deserve it, but... The Pharisee, in comparison to a tax collector, if you took a, took a religious survey, which, which one is closer to God? A Pharisee, a person totally devoted religiously, or a tax collector who could care less and was only out for himself, which one is closer to God? They would all say the Pharisee was. But what he does here, and by way of contrast, what looks one way on the outside isn't always what's true on the inside. And we're going to see that. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Remember we talked about the, the unrighteous judge. He liked to talk to what? Himself. Now this is a person who liked to pray to himself. At least that's how it looks in the text. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. And so this person, as he is praying to God, the, the problem is he was praying to God, he was full of something, and the, the problem was he was full of himself. Which is interesting in this particular prayer that's recorded for us. Uh, the, the, 
the, the personal pronoun I is, is used five times in a very short prayer. I, 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 I. You know, this is a person that's preoccupied with himself. And then we have the other person praying. Now, the tax collector. But the tax collector, staying some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. It's interesting. He, he, he uses a, a definite article here. He doesn't say a sinner. Most of us would say, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. Well, are you the sinner? Which almost makes it sound like you, you are the worst of sinners. That's how the, the tax collector looked at himself. And, and, and there's reason because he had taken an honest look at himself, and we're going to look at this in a moment, but, but he was a traitor to everyone in Israel. He had, he, had, he had compromised everything, and everything was out for himself, and he, he only gained money on the backs of other Jewish citizens. And a tax collector did not have the right to testify in a court. I mean, no one could trust him. And he says, be merciful to me, the sinner. And then Jesus in the story puts a commentary on it. He says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what's the simple point this morning? I, I put it this way. If we're going to live in the now, if we're going to have a closer walk with thee, as we heard sung this morning, we've got to take an honest look at ourselves and be humble. The problem with the, the religious leader wasn't a lot of his actions. It was good that he was a faithful giver, that he prayed consistently, that he was willing to make sacrifices, that he would fast, that he, he really did not fall into some lifestyles that we would say would be overt, active sin. But what had happened, he'd focused so much on the external that he had missed everything that was on the inside. And he had a dark heart. And, and then we look at the tax collector. If maybe we had taken a snapshot of his life earlier, we would say he's just, he's just like the Pharisee, but just in a different way. His sins are obvious on the outside, where the Pharisee's sin was not obviously on the outside, but it was on the inside. Just listen to his prayers. But somehow, before he went to the temple this time, he, he took a look at himself. And when he took a close look at himself, he saw what God saw. He was a sinner in desperate need to be touched by the Savior. James chapter 1, verse 23 and 24 says this, For if anyone, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, and again, the doer is not only on the outside, but on the inside, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. You know, God is not interested. In, when we talk about humility, it's, it's not about thinking less of yourself. It's just simply thinking less about yourself. You know, the, the Pharisee is I, 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 I. He was thinking about himself all the time. And, and when the tax collector took a good look, he, he, he wanted to see how God thought about him. How do you know if you're thinking too much about yourself? One, if you play the comparison game, you're always comparing yourself to others. And you might not always put yourself on top. You might put yourself on the bottom. But God said, hey, quit playing that game. Or on the other thing, you might always be concerned about what other people think. It almost gets the idea when the Pharisee was in the temple, he was praying this 
prayer that he was praying to himself out loud so everyone could hear and they could see him in light of somebody else. And he, he cared about what other people thought. And we, we need to have people in our life that we care what they think because they can talk honestly in their lives and they, can, they point out things that need to change. But if we're always worried about what other people think, we'll have much less time being worried about what God thinks. And by the way, when we always worry about what other people think, let's just be honest. Who are people really thinking about? They're thinking about themselves. They're not always thinking about you. So just, you, that's a waste of time. So what's the point? This whole parable is all of us need to take an honest look at ourselves. What are the things that are wrong in our life that we need to touch of the Savior in our life to make us different on the inside as well as the outside? That's living in the now. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. And then finally, real quickly, he tells, he tells a story. Now, he doesn't tell a story. We, we see the story told of him and the encounter that happened right after this. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they were rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. So we move from telling stories to them being part of the story. And it's, it's always amazing. You think by this time they would have learned, you know, whatever Jesus is doing something and he doesn't say anything, you probably shouldn't say anything, right? But he, see, he sees the, the families coming. And this was somewhat of a tradition. If you had a beloved rabbi, you would have a, a parent would kind of ask that rabbi to bless their child. And, and, and so they saw Jesus in this, as the ultimate rabbi. And when they brought these babies to him, they, we, we don't have time for this. Will you just tell him to get out of here? And so Jesus has to bring an object lesson here. He went from a parable to object lesson. You see these little children? <laughs> you, you, you need to become like them. And, and if you did, then you, you would learn what the message is all about is that children, particularly babies, and we're not, now we're not just talking about toddlers or even, you know, school children. We're talking about babies, and we all recognize that babies are totally dependent beings, right? They need people caring for them, protecting them, feeding them. He said, this, this, is, this is how anyone comes into the kingdom of God, under God's rule, because if, if you can't admit your need, then you'll, you'll never have that need met by Jesus. He said, every time you see a child, it ought to remind you of your desperate need for the touch of the Savior. But I think there's a broader application as well, and you could put it this way. If we're going to live for God now, we ought to think about how important little people are to God and what that says to you. Any person your eyes come across that you kind of latch on to, you see, uh, they're important to God. They're, they're, they're so important to God that he, that he was willing to, to enter history and become a man and be scourged and ridiculed and mocked and, and die on the cross because everyone matters to God. And so he wasn't just talking about children here or infants or babies. He was talking about every person you come in contact with. We, at, we in the church and we who know the Lord Jesus, 
we, we ought to be very careful about being critical about people in public life and wherever they're at. We, we, don't, we, we, cannot, we, we can decide we don't necessarily like all their policies or don't like the direction they're going, but, but we need to realize that every person that is on this planet, God, God loves and cares for. Paul put it this way in Romans 12, 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Now he's talking within the family of God, but I think the application can go broader as well. Do you, do you treat people differently based on whatever? Do not be haughty in mind. Don't be proud because maybe you're better or you're more right than they are. But associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And so as we think about living in the now, it really, it really impacts everybody when you come in contact with, doesn't it? And it really, it really changes in how we live. If we're really living in the now, we learn what it means to talk with God. We can talk to God about everything. We don't have to ever give up on those things that are important to us or in the lives of other people. We can keep on praying. And we can realize that that God is always good. But on the other hand, we need to realize that if we're going to walk with God honestly and authentically, we, we've got to take an honest look at about ourselves and, and, and really desire to be humbled before Him. And not because we think less about ourselves, but realize that He is the one who's sufficient. We don't need to compare ourselves with others and be overly concerned about what other people think, but what He thinks. And then as we see people that, that are in need or are different than us, whether it be age or whether it be background or whatever they're going through, is that, that we need to treat everyone the same as people that God loves and has a plan for their life. And we want to, if, if at all possible, be the influence in their life that draw them to Him. So what's the point this morning? The, the so what is that, well, how can you and how can I live better and do it now? And what I want to urge all of us is, of those bullet points this morning, which one would latch on to you? Do you need to start talking to God about everything because right now you're not? What is in your life that you're going to say, hey, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to lose heart. I'm not going to stop. Or maybe I need to change my view of God. I kind of look at God like that, that unjust judge. I, I got to talk him into something. I got to persuade him to do something he doesn't want to do. You know, prayer in many ways is, is not... Rearranging God's will is rearranging our will. And I'm going to trust in the goodness of God no matter what happens. Or, or maybe you say, you know, I've been, I, I've been like that person who looks in the mirror and then forgets about it. I, I need to look at the, the mirror of God's word and, and God, I, I want to take an honest look at myself and what is it in my life you want to change? And help me be humble before you and humility there is just dependent upon you. Or, or, or maybe it is, you know, how am I really looking at people? Am I, how do I look at the little people? Do I realize how much God loves little people? Little in any way that's different than me. See, that's, that's living in the now because well, really what it's all about is how do we treat God and how we treat people? Do we see God as who he is and we see people that he created in his image and sent his son to die for? Do we, do we love them with the love that he has for them? God wants us to live in the now and it should begin now.